All right, here we go. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode nine of the Crookcast. Thank you for watching and listening. I have with me today Scott Brewer. Uh, did I say that right? You did. Awesome, awesome. Scott and I are old comrades from the same battalion in the Marine Corps, Second Battalion, Ninth Marines, from back in the day. Um, I learned of Scott through some social media. I learned about his his company and uh, his message. And I thought that he would be a great addition to our interview uh, set here on the podcast. So Scott, thank you for taking the time to come on to the show today. Hey, Carson, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into it. So as we normally do, uh, we'll start with your background. We'll start with your story, you know, growing up, things that were a major influence on you and uh, that started you on your path that you find yourself on now. So, uh, you know, what was high school like? Were, what were the major pivotal points in your life that led to, guided you in the direction that you're on? Yeah, so um, I grew up in the, uh, the suburbs of New York City um, in a town called Somers, New York, um, probably about 30 minutes outside of, uh, of Manhattan. Um, you know, high school for me, um, I was obviously a, a big athlete. That was sort of my thing. Um, so, you know, baseball was my sport, um, wrestling. And, um, and I dabbled in, you know, some other sports here and there. But those were basically my primary sports. Um, you know, I kind of took a, I kind of took a, uh, a detour, I'll say, um, in high school. I sort of got involved with the, uh, I would say the wrong crowd, but, you know, the not so productive crowd. Um, and I was trying to sort of navigate between um, my athletics and then managing my personal and social life, um, which ultimately ended up sort of, uh, you know, took out um, some opportunities for me later in life. So I ended up going through high school. Um, I got in a bunch of trouble. Um, I'd been arrested and um, you know, just doing typical, um, not so productive things. Um, I eventually was able to score myself a scholarship, um, for baseball. Um, I ended up going to college in Jersey, Bloomfield college, a little small D2 school. Um, and again, I mean, I'm sort of plagued by the same, you know, basically, uh, irresponsible decisions that I was sort of starting down in high school. They sort of kept me on that same path, went into college. Um, I made it through about, let's say the first semester. So I made it to about uh, winter break. Um, that's when baseball season was about to start to pick up. I, uh, I came back to school. We took a trip, our first trip down to, um, you know, Virginia and Florida and, and, and played maybe like a month of school. And I was just failing school really, really bad um, to the point where I became a part-time student because I had failed so many classes, um, which rendered me, um, you know, unable to play on the baseball team. So I was actually, was actually kicked out of school. Well, I wasn't really kicked out of school, but I, I basically became a part-time student. So I couldn't play on the baseball team. At that point, I was like, well, you know, fuck this. I'm, uh, you know, this, this hole's too big to climb out of. So I sort of gave up on that, even though, you know, baseball was sort of my dream. Um, and, uh, 
yeah, I became a janitor at the high school I just graduated from. And uh, so that was, that was pretty humbling because now here I am. I won't say I was this stud, but uh, you know, people knew, uh, people knew me obviously. Um, and they knew my, my talents in the, in the baseball realm. And here I am, you know, pushing a broom and scraping gum off the bottom of desks and, and doing that whole deal. So I had to take a, you know, a piece of the humble pie. Um, you know, after that, I, uh, my grandfather was a union head in the carpenters union in New York city. He kind of hooked me up, uh, getting into the sheet metal workers union um in local 38 so i was i did the internship for about two years um and i i had met a guy in there who um who was a marine well former marine he was sort of talking to me because i was still again i was still down down that bad path and um you know he kind of he kind of put the bug in my ear and i had a couple other buddies that were a couple years older than me they were friends with one of my older brothers um and they had both just got back and um from my racket and I ended up getting out just so started hanging out with them and they kind of put me on a, on the path. And, um, so yeah, long story short, um, you know, I did that two year internship. I basically was like, listen, man, if I keep going down this path, it's just not going to end well. Um, so I just asked my buddy, Hey man, like take me down to the recruiter. Um, you know, make sure he doesn't bullshit me and, um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to sign up. So that's kind of the start of, of the Marine Corps um, chapter. I uh, became a uh, communications guy in the Marine Corps. Um, so I spent some time in 29 Palms going to school. Eventually got to 2-9 in, I believe it was May of 2009. Um, the, the battalion had just gotten back from Ramadi. Um, so I just missed that pump. And I was sort of the new guy where um, you know, all the, the previous new guys were now, um, you know, deployment salt, even though there wasn't really a whole lot going on in Ramadi at the time. So, uh, it, it was a good, I, I got to the comm shop, you know, I, we had a great comm shop. I don't know how much you interacted with the guys at the comm shop, um, or I don't even know what radio operators you had, uh, down at the companies, but, um, but yeah, we had a, we had a fantastic crew. Um, and so I, uh, you know, I started lifting. I started, that's right. I sort of started powerlifting at that point. Um, I started to find jujitsu at that point. The gunny that I had was, um, he was one of those red tab instructors and he, he had, I think it was a blue belt, um, in actual jujitsu. So he wasn't like some super seasoned guy, but, um, you know, every day at lunch, we'd roll out the mats and, and we'd spar and, you know, we would do stand up and, and, uh, so that kind of got me going back you know, into my wrestling background. And, um, you know, I was lifting, I was always small. So, um, you know, once I started to put on size, you know, I started feeling a lot better about myself and then I was combining it with the jujitsu piece. And, um, that's when I started to sort of push the envelope, um, fast forward to, and when the hell did we deploy? What was that? 2010? Yeah, it was 2010, wasn't it? Summer. I think it was summer 2010. Yeah. We went on our first deployment. Um, that Marja deployment. You know, I was yeah. at, yep, yep, the Marja deployment. Um, so I was with HS Company, went to the com, I was with the comm shop. Um, we did that pump and um, 
you know, for, I was actually a nerdy kind of MOS. Um, I was actually a radio tech. So um, I didn't really fit the mold, to be honest with you. Um, I was way more, uh, I'll say alpha than a lot of the people that, that are in that MOS. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was able to at least circulate around the battlefield. I didn't see a whole lot, um, you know, not nearly as much as a lot of the guys that, you know, in our battalion, because that was a hellacious fucking deployment. Um, but, you know, I got my feet wet, um, which for me in that MOS was, was exciting because I didn't really think I was going to have a chance to do anything. So um, we got back from that deployment. You know, I'm still powerlifting, um, still training. We go on the second, well, I extended actually. I, I was about to get out. Um, I'd gotten NJP'd actually. Let me back up. I got NJP'd for, uh, so when I got back from the first deployment, I was back in the Advon. And um, there was only like, I don't even know, fucking 40, 50 of us. And um, we, uh, we went to watch the UFC fights at Heroes. You remember that bar on base, Camp Lejeune? Oh, yes. And um, <laughs> Heroes. So we're there. And a buddy of mine, he actually wasn't able to deploy with us um, as part of the comm shop because his son had gotten uh, spinal meningitis. So he actually, the kid, he was like fucking four or five years old. He had his legs amputated. Um, I think it was below the below yeah i think it was below the knee so anyways he didn't go on the deployment so we had met up with him at heroes we're drinking we're watching the fights we're on the back deck um and uh we're sort of talking to him and these these other drunk marines are they're basically talking shit for for no they were just hammered long story short um we end up getting in a in a fight with these guys um and uh Right, they were from Second Tanks. I don't know if you remember, but Second Tanks Battalion was right behind that bar, so they were on the balcony. Why is it always there. Second Tanks? It was always, always Second, second tanks, tanks, man. man. It's always yeah. Second Tanks, man. I tell was... you what, they got theirs. Um, <laughs> but anyways, so I ended up doing what I did there. Um, PMO is called. I'm running. I get back to the barracks. I wake up my platoon sergeant. I'm like, hey, dude, like you may or may not get a knock at your door at some point tonight or tomorrow. He's like, all right, go to bed. Sure enough, he's knocking on my door the next day. I got to go down to PMO. The whole thing, the whole gambit. I'm standing in front of uh, Major Parrish. I don't know if you remember that guy. Probably never even Sounds saw familiar. Saw he was the XO, the battalion XO. And um, anyway, so I ended up getting busted down and uh, – then it came to the point where we got slated for the second deployment. I was getting ready to get out. And, um, you know, my gunny had talked to me and said, Hey man, just put in a package, see what happens. So put in a package. I extended at that point for a year to make the deployment. Um, got the call and, in, in uh, when Mojave Viper, we were doing, um, uh, EMV. And, uh, at that point I would, I would, I was got I got put with the uh, the colonel. I was on the PSD with the colonel and the sergeant major, uh, the jump platoon. So I was their radio operator. And um, anyways, That's came down in the enlisting. Yeah, it was it was a great gig, man. You know, I always tell people this: like, I was fortunate, and that was that, that was actually a really pivotal point for me because it's easy when you're on the ground to have that. Real, I call it the the perspective of a straw, right? Like you're you're looking through this little little tiny hole, and that's all you see, right? And I was able to sort of go from that tactical level to the strategic level, and sort of be the colonel's right hand man, and sort of see the bigger picture, 
and how everything um, sort of worked, all the pieces of the puzzle, um, the different, op- you know, you don't get that when you're, if you're in a line platoon or, or line company or, or whatever, you're not, you're not getting the big picture. You just know, hey, I'm going on this patrol two times a day. I'm doing X, Y, and Z. I'm coming back, sleeping, hitting the rack. We're doing it again. So for me, it was like, it was kind of an eye-opening experience because I was like, holy cow, there's a lot more to it than, than just what I had known from the last appointment, um, which was a lot more of a smaller vision of view. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was actually a great experience. Um, and I got yeah. some funny stories about that. Um, but, uh, I, but yeah, so I mean, you're, you, you had to be in this like just super cool spot. You know, I just got done on reading, uh, Hackworth's mm, memoirs yeah, Colonel Hackworth. and yeah, he always, he always spoke reverently about his radio operators because he would hand pick them because it's so important. You can't communicate your decisions effectively if you don't have good communication. Right. So he would, and he would always pick somebody who he just like liked their, not only were they good at their job, but he liked them as well. You know, I had to be somebody that he could be around all the time. So I mean, it's super cool that you were able to do that and to, like you said, gain that perspective. So So you get, you get in the Marine Corps and you're doing your job and you're, um, you're like you said, that first deployment. So I didn't, I wasn't there on that deployment. Right. So I was in the generation after that. So the 2000, what was that? 2011 then like November, 2011. So that was my first deployment. So the battalion's second, uh, second deployment. And, um, I, I remember you know, the culture of the battalion at that time, right as I showed up, there was a huge shift in dynamic because the day I checked in, Bravo Company was getting slammed for hazing. So they had all their senior Marines were all in the office. Like I'm checking into my greens. I got my two little, my two little ribbons, like brand new guy. And there's all these like senior lances and corporals and sergeants. They're all sitting around a table waiting to get told if they're going to jail or not. And, <laughs> and then they're, they're just like oh staring God. me down, man. Like, we just want to eat your soul. And I'm just like, holy smokes. And so that was, that was the situation at the time that I checked in, you know, the, the battalion was going through a major shift in like culturally and what its expectations were. Cause like you said, the first deployment that you had, they got chewed up. The whole battalion got chewed up and spat out. A lot of guys got killed. They killed a lot of people, you know? So it was, it was real hard, but you were your situation. Like you said, you, you were there, you were on the deployment, uh, but perhaps you didn't get to get, you know, all the action, but you still felt like you had, you were grateful, you know, for what you were able to do and you were able to do more than you thought is yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was grateful to have the experiences that I had. Um, you know, cause like I said, I just didn't, I didn't think I would ever have those experiences period, which was for me, was, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I just sort of got stuck in this MOS cause I ended up getting in trouble in boot camp, but that's a whole nother story. Um, but, uh, you know, so, and, and yeah, after that first appointment, I mean, yeah, we went to, we got slated for uh, fleet week. And so they basically took a battalion of, of, uh, you know, infantry guys and from a, a hellacious deployment 
not even what, like, I, I think it was like maybe a month later or something like that. Here we go. Here we are getting on a ship uh, out of Norfolk, sailing up to New York City to get hammered um, for a week, 10 days. And dude, when I tell you the birthing areas, it was fucking nuts, man. Like you had people fucking crying and, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying that in a negative way. I mean, you know, people were emotional and people are, you know, you mix alcohol and we got 30 days back. We just lost 15 guys. Um, you know, it was, it was, I mean, the first night we were there, a Marine got killed uh, on the West side highway, walked in traffic, got slammed by a bus or a cab or something. It was just a, it was a really crazy time but yeah the, the transition was real and um you know the leadership that we had uh from the battalion aspect um was just different than what we had incoming so we had colonel stiskel and, and sergeant major Scheuer, um who were just I, I don't know how much you interacted with them but i obviously did on a daily basis and those are some of the two best leaders that i ever encountered uh throughout my time in the military or by far in the military um and so, um, you know, I went from getting NJP'd to then working for the Colonel. The Colonel's looking at me like, you're a calm guy. Like, why are you still a Lance Corporal? I'd explain to him, you know, what happened. Oh, I got in a um, fight at a bar. Yeah. MMA I mean, I, I with just, other Marines. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, this, this is what we're sort of bred for, uh, to do, right? You know? Um, yeah, it's the same old story. Saying, because yeah. he was a good leader, you know, because he was a good leader, he was understanding, you know, and that's the other thing too, is like, you know, further down the timeline in this battalion, uh, you know, after a couple more deployments, uh, the culture was, well, let's see, I left, I left two nine and I went to second LAR and even just going from like infantry to light armored recon in a different, different battalion, the culture was, was different. It wasn't nearly as aggressive. And then furthermore, the Marine Corps was shifting to peacetime Marine Corps at that time. So it was a greater influence on like being strict. It was a greater influence on, you know, NJPs. It was a greater influence on stifling that like the fighter culture, the field Marine, the deploying Marine, the combat Marine, and more on like the garrison Marine, you know, wearing shocks and, you know, being, uh, you know, uptight, which also meant, you know, tightening it up. On all your fighters that want to fight, want to get in trouble. Not necessarily bad guys. They're just more oriented for the actual like combat and fighting. Those are the guys that you want on your team. Those are the guys you want in your section. So as since he was a good leader, he probably looked at you and he's like, I don't really care if you got into a fist fight at a bar. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to look at your character and decide if I want to keep yeah. you around, keep you as my radio operator. Yeah. And that's, and, and, um, you know, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back because self-praise stinks, but I mean, I was at that point, I sort of had a chip on my shoulder because, um, you know, I was a well-liked guy in my shop. Um, I went from being a corporal to a Lance corporal again. And um, again, like the leaders in my shop, I, I had Gunny Rust. I don't know if you know who he was, um, but he, he was just an amazing guy. And uh, he didn't treat me any different. You know, like I was, I was, just, I was essentially, I was defending this other kid. Um, you know, I didn't probably have to go as far as I did, but I, the intention was there. Um, and they didn't treat me like shit. You know, they, they made sure that, Hey, like, this is a guy that has potential. So instead of, instead of letting this, um, define him, you know, I'll never forget actually when I, when I got outside the NJP, um, 
I don't know if first Sergeant Scott was still there when you were there. Do you know who he was? No, my entire world at that time was very golf company. That's everybody that okay. I knew. Cause I was just, I was just like Lance Corporal Crook, you know, I was like brand new first deployment. Like my whole perspective in world was uh, one golf company. If I saw anybody in leadership higher than that, I typically like did my best to hide from them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so when I got done with the NJP, he walked me outside into his office. He didn't take the rank off my collar. Again, he kind of, he knew the story, right? Like he knew why I did what I did. And he told me, it was actually a really powerful moment. He, he told me, this is just a teardrop in the ocean of who you are. Don't let this define you. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, he's like, I'm not going to take the rank off of your collar. I'm going to expect that you go down to the PX right now, go get yourself, you know, Lance Corporal Chevrons. And, you know, I don't want to see you with uh, Corporal Chevrons again. And that was sort of, you know, that, that was really powerful because it's like, all right, this guy, if it was up to him, he probably wouldn't have NJP'd me, right? Um, given my relationship with him, because he, he obviously knew who I was. Um, and, uh, and for him to sort of take that stance and, and verbalize that to me, I mean, I'm going to fucking E3 in the Marine Corps. Um, you know, it was like, whoa, like a lot of people would come out of those types of positions and you, I know you've seen it fuck this, fuck that, fuck the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps fucked me, I got the green weenie, I got this, I got that, and it's like, eh, not really, I mean, I knew what I was doing, yeah. right? like, I threw the hands, like, you know, I got to take ownership for that, it, it's not, it, it wasn't anybody else's fault, I made the decision, right, um, so the onus is really on me to sort of pick up and, and move on, and so I, I felt like I had to double down on my efforts to sort of prove my worth, and, um, and, and build and gain that credibility that, that I once had. Um, yeah, that's so, a brilliant move on his part. Like what, by doing that, you know, first off he, he shifts your perspective from the, and I, I want to point this out because this is such a good tool for any leader, right. Or any parent or anybody that has to be an influence on anybody else. So he took your perspective. Normally people are like the what? Like, oh, dude, I got to fight, but like my reasons. And then it's like, oh, I got busted down. Like you said. But because he said that, he's like, you know, really, this is he redirected it from the what to the why. The why is about you. It's about who you are and who you're going to be. And then he didn't take the rank off your collar because then it that's the authority figure, you know, that's doing it. But by you having to drive yourself to the store, go and buy that rank, stand in line, pay for it, go into the car, take it off yourself and put the new rank on. You're thinking the whole time about the decisions that you just made that led up to this point. And you're sort of by taking this physical action of changing it yourself, you're like, it's like symbolism of you accepting responsibility for your choices, right? You have that whole time to think about it, which probably set your perspective on it, right? In a healthy way, like, which is, the whole point. The whole point is like, how? What do you do when you face adversity or your own failures? And uh, you know, nobody fails more as a young man than they do when they're eighteen to twenty-five. You know, yeah, you could say that so, again. So I give him props for how he handled that situation. It's outstanding move. Yeah, it, it really was because um, it's it's one of those points. You know, when anybody gets into sort of uh, a predicament like that, I mean as a leader, it's incumbent upon you to, to guide them, um, 
you know, to get back or, or to even exceed where they were. Right. And, and it's so easy, especially in the military, you get somebody that fucks up and it's just like, you're a turd, boom, you're sweeping, you're mopping and, and you go right to turd duties. Right. And, and you're treated that way. And it, it just reinforces that negative feedback loop. It just, it just reinforces that fuck this, you know, that, you know, the cancerous attitude. Um, but by flipping the switch and even, even the leaders that I had in the comm shop, it was the same thing. I mean, you know, it, it was just business as usual. Like, Hey man, you just got to fucking wear it, dude. That's it. You know, um, it is what it is. It's, it's up to you. It's your choice. Um, you know, and, and they, by getting talked me into basically trying to reenlist, like I told you. And, um, and then when it, when it came down to it and the next appointment came, I was like, listen, dude, like, I don't want to be in the comm shop. Like I would really like to go and, and, you know, explore something different. Um, because this is like, you know, this isn't really, this isn't for me you know, um, at least the, the, the maintenance part, that was, that was really my piece. Um, you know, it's just not, it's not stimulating for me. So, I mean, he, he you can kind of see his decision-making. He went, he took me from the guy who got NJP and he put me with the Colonel. I mean, that's, that's not, you know, that's, that's not really, uh, an intuitive move, right? Like you, you don't expect someone to get NJP and like, Oh yeah, you go work for the Colonel as his operator, right? Like, um, it just, it's not congruent with, with, the crime that you just committed basically. Um, so it, it, instead of demeaning me and giving me lesser duties, it was like, here's your opportunity shine, you know? Um, and so that was, that was basically what I was there to do. So I ended up going to, um, advanced radio operator course. You know, I had to learn my shit. I was a maintainer, but I didn't really know all the ins and outs of operating and, and, and and, uh, you know, the communication, all the wizardry. Yeah. The communication field is enormous, Radi- right? Cause that was at the point. Oh yeah. Where, radio is some voodoo, man. Yeah. Especially at that it, point. It's crazy. You started going from, um, the older style radios to integrating the data part. And so now you're talking about, you know, fucking ones and zeros and fucking this network and that network. And I'm like, set comms. Yeah. Bro, what are you talking about, man? Like, I don't, it's a whole other language. So I ended up doing that. And then, um, I got put on his team and my goal is I, I do, I was the, the Pogue basically. Right. Like I, I didn't want to be the guy that like didn't know anything that, that, that couldn't hack it. Right. So it was like trying to learn the radios, um, from an operational standpoint, right. Understand what the colonel's, uh, you know, intentions are, what his, um, requirements are, you know, I've got a liaison between him, the Sergeant major, myself, then back to the comm shop. So it was, it was a, it was a duty that that was uh, burdensome, but not in a bad way, right? Like it, it it helped me grow because, again, like I said earlier, um, I'm going from that E3 level to now I'm I'm interfacing with the battalion commander, right, on a personal level. Like I, this is not a normal relationship. This is a much much um, intimate, much more intimate relationship because I'm sort of his right hand man. Needless to say, um, we end up getting getting overseas and um you know i basically learned everything i could about machine guns and and you know i mean everything i mean i was learning things i probably didn't even need to know you know i can still tell you what grazing fire is and and plunging fire and like you know you ask a normal comm guy that they're like what are you talking about you know yeah that's Um, good stuff man when your radio operator is fired up and he wants to learn all those things it's like yeah dude i'm gonna teach you well i had a really teach you how to shoot a machine gun that came from uh three eight or one eight. Um, he was a machine gunner 
and he'd kind of got dropped in the battalion like last minute. So they just put him in the PSD and he, I mean, he was a good guy. So, um, that was his thing He's you know, I need to teach everybody what, what they need to do. Cause we had a lot of guys that, that in the platoon that were sort of like the bastard children of the battalion that like either people didn't want them or they just got dropped from the battalion. So no one knew their worth. So like, yeah, just go to PSD type of thing. So that, that was sort of the, the combination. Uh, yeah. of, it was a fill all. Yeah. Like you put your beast, you put your, your B people, you can't put your C people in PSD, right? Cause you got all the super higher ups that are there and they're like, who, why did they send us this, you know, window liquor? Like, um, so you put, and you need to keep your A people in your platoon. So you send your B and your unknowns. Yeah, that's right? exactly it. It's like a, it's like a draft. It's the same thing. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, a few months went by and I, I mean, I was working my ass off. Um, and I never took a day off just because, well, we really couldn't. And, um, even though we had some extra people, I mean, I was the radio guy, but, um, I just kept stepping up. I started, um, there was a, a weekly, uh, Shura, uh, basically a meeting between the village elders, the, the ANCOP commanders, the ANA commander, um, you know, all the different local militia commanders. And so I just, I just kept trying to take more responsibility. So I would, I would set up the meeting. I would set the security, you know, I would drop the plans, whatever, because some of these meetings would take care or take place, you know, anywhere. I mean, we had a, we had a, we had a meeting, you were in Gulf company, so you probably don't even know the area, but in the, uh, to the West. Uh, my platoon was in Marja proper, like the, the capital of Marja. Yes. We had, yeah, we had the fob that was connected with the the mayor of the towns gotcha. and his house. So that's where I spent most of my time. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, who was your, your company commander was Captain Craigholm, right? That's right. Yep. Oh, yeah. I got a story about him, too. Um, <laughs> he beat the shit out of me one day in a good way. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he likes jujitsu. Yeah, so yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but uh, but anyway, so I, I, you know, I was trying to take take charge basically of, of that piece. Um, because there was a lot of guys that didn't really, you know, the attitude I was talking about earlier, you know, you get those guys that man, fuck this, this is stupid. You know, that they're, they're not, they're not engaged, right? Like they're not, they're not looking at it as an opportunity to grow as an individual, right? Like that was my thing is like, yeah, there's times in the Marine Corps or the military that suck but they're always good times to learn, right? Whether it's mm -hmm. leading people, whether it's, you know, operation planning, um, you know, whatever it is, managing, you know, everything is an opportunity to learn. And that was, that was really the mindset that I had. Um, so I ended up, I ended up getting uh, combat meritoriously promoted. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people roll their eyes. Yeah. You work for the Colonel. No fucking shit. You probably sucked his dick. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, you know, I'm sure there was a lot, you know, other people that were deserving as well. And, and, and I'm not saying this to brag, but it, it was just sort of like, um, going from the NJP to, to that point was, was gratifying, right? It was like, all right, I'm doing the right things, right? I'm, I'm on the path. And they knew that, right? Like they knew that I, I was in trouble and that, um, you know, I'd gotten busted down. And so I, was there, was there some level of, of, uh, preference? I'm sure, man. I'm sure. But it wasn't like it was just a handout either. You know, I'm, I, I'm proud of it, um, to say the least. But, um, but yeah, that, that deployment went on. And, and then um, the platoon sergeant that I had, because we didn't have a lieutenant, he was a, uh, I don't think he was a school trained sniper. Um, but um, I think he was a pig. 
and uh and he that's his thing like he wanted he did not want to be there um good guy and he did a great job but he he didn't really want to be there he wanted to be with the sniper team um i don't blame him yeah i don't don't blame him either i mean you know i would have been pissed too so um he begged sergeant major the entire deployment to to get over there so they sent him for like a, a month month and a half and um and that was it. They fucking called to the bullpen and, and I was able to basically lead, you know, a squad of infantry guys for a month and a half, which, yeah, we, cool. you know, to me, that's, a, to, it was a huge deal. You know, it was like, you know, here I am, this guy that, that learned everything I knew sort of on the fly, um, you know, keeping in context with, you know, the NJP and being busted down and, and having that uncertainty to, to plowing through it. And all of a sudden next year, I know, you know, eight, nine, 10 months later, I'm, I'm leading a fucking squad of infantry guys, um, on mounted ops and, and dismounted ops and, you know, planning and, and, you know, the onus is on me. And that was the great thing about the Colonel, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you probably experienced this too, but when you have that, that decentralized command and that's, that's how he operated. It was like, Hey dude, figure it out, make it happen. Give me your plan. Then give him my plan. All right. Ch- adjust this. I don't really like that. Let's do this. Boom. Have at it. Right. Like he, he allowed me to take that ownership. Um, and, uh, and it was just empowering, man. It was, it was, it was just an awesome experience. Um, it was really the highlight I think of, of my, my military career was, was that period. It was, I was able to grow and learn so much, um, you know, not only as a leader, but for myself, it's like, you know, you can have a setback, and sometimes it seems like the end of the world, but it's usually not, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I closed out that deployment and then, uh, I got orders to the air wing. God. Whew. Dang. Yeah. How'd that? Oh yeah. Cause your MOS is really open. You can go, go anywhere. anywhere that there's radios. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That, so you went, so you went from an ad hoc infantry squad leader, not also, important to point out the air wing was notorious for being more relaxed oh, yeah. than the rest of the Marine Corps. Right. So you're going into an entirely different culture as well. Yeah. How'd that work out? It was, um, that's exactly it, man. You're going from, you know, again, I'm not Mr. Warfighter. I don't, I don't claim to be, but you're going from kill, kill, kill to in that mindset, especially when you're deployed to Marja. Um, and especially in two, nine. Yeah, I mean, that's just like, it's ing- that's all I knew. You know, I don't know anything else. I've never been around a female Marine. I never, you know, I'm, I'm, you, 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 you're a grunt, right? Like, you know, you know what goes on, right? Like, I, oh, yeah. need, need I say more? I'm going yeah. from that environment to a completely different environment. You know, now I've got females, you know, I've got, I've got people that never deployed that are staff NCOs, right? They've got three ribbons, four ribbons, five ribbons, you know, um, and so it was actually a huge ego check for me because I'm thinking I'm the fucking man, right? Like I'm, I'm like, dude, mm. I just did this. I did that. I did this. What if you, you know, I'm that guy, like a retard, um, you know, especially yeah. considering the fact that really I didn't do all that much. I mean, you know, you know, yeah. That, and that probably sits in the back of your mind too. It's like, cause when you're in two nine, you, you know, this is this is something I struggled with too because, you know, in our workout for that deployment, like I said, I dropped. I was a new guy, and all these senior guys just got tore up. You know, so the whole workup, I remember 
Do you remember the hurricane, the really bad hurricane party? <laughs> yeah. It was in like 2011. Yeah, dude, I had been in for like, oh man, that, that was so crazy. I, I had been in for like, like a week and, uh, do uh, not in one nine. We're having their barracks brawl, yeah. right? There's like uh Braveheart style, like just giant fight, like a couple hundred guys out there smashing each other. And it's like, um, I wanted to go join. And then my team leader who is very, very drunk walks into my room, you know, pushes me up against the wall, like pushing me up the wall, like choking me and threatening to kill me if I go out there and join the fight and then throws me on the ground. And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> and that that's what would happen. And you know, all these guys, all the senior guys are like, you know, when we go back out there, you know, guys are going to die, like all this stuff. So we're like, we're locked in. We're, we want to train super hard and we want to be like these guys. These guys are all super hard. They're all, they're all fighters, you know, they're all veterans and they had been in a lot of gunfights. So you wanted to be like them. So you emulated them. And then we go on our deployment and, you know, a few guys get killed in the company, but you know, not, not from gunfights, you know, suicide, IED, um, what was it? Echo company. I think it was, they had that assassination guy got shot in the back yeah, of the head Dicus. by Afghan army. I guess that's right. You know, um, so we had, we had some cash. There was Tarwall. Yeah. It was in weapons. Uh, you know, so we had, we had a few casualties, but not, we didn't have any gunfights. We had nothing to justify all that hard work and all that fear and all, uh, all the training and even our own dead. We had, we didn't really have anything to justify it with. Uh, at least I didn't never fired a shot in anger, you know? And so you talk about ego check, like the entire thing that you idolized and that you valued and that you thought would make you a man and you'd be able to prove yourself. And then you don't get that. Right. So then you come back, so I come back and then you know, I go to an, another battalion and it'll becoming a corporal and I'm in charge of guys. And I'm like one of two dudes in the entire platoon that actually went to Afghanistan before. And then it's like, so you got to play this game. What you learned was how to be able to prop yourself up with experience. Like I have combat experience, you know, this like stut, very egotistical, very like testosterone and alpha male, like propping up. Uh, that's the example that you followed and that you emulated. And it's the only thing that you know, uh, but you can't do that because you don't have the combat experience. You have nothing to justify like yourself. So you just have to be right, right? You just have to keep your ship, your ship tight. You got to keep yourself tight and there's nothing else that you can do, uh, but just be good. Right. And that's the, it's the most that you can give to give yourself authority. So yeah, that was, and it took me a while before I actually learned, like, you know, it doesn't really like, I think it wasn't even until after I got out when I sort of realized, like, you know, the fact that so many other guys, so many of my friends suffered so much and fought in combat and I didn't really isn't, you know, it doesn't make me who I am. Who I am is my habits. It's my decisions. It's my character. It's who I hold myself to be. It's what I'm actually doing now. Uh, and and. and it's easy to get caught up in that, in that game. Um, but again, I mean, you look at a guy like, uh, like Kyle Carpenter, here's a guy who jumped on a fucking grenade. If you ever hear him speak, it's like, he's like the nicest guy going, right? He has, it's almost like he has no ego and it's like, well, hell, if he, if he, if, if he can be that humble, I need to get my shit in check. Cause I'm fucking nobody, you know? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the big eye opener for me was Jocko. Yeah. Right. So I started listening to Jocko, my dad's recommendation when in 2015, when I got out, I traveled around the country for a month and I went and I visited old war buddies that were already out. And I, I started listening to Jocko podcasts in the car. And, you know, when he would talk about ego and he would talk about, uh, you know, how ego, you know, destroys good leadership and it literally destroys you as a person because you can't take responsibility if you have an ego that you're guarding. Yeah. And it really opened up my mind to that perspective, like a healthy perspective of how to view yourself and view your own ego and your, and your pride. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a real, it's a killer, man. It's a, it's a, it's a killer on, for an organization, you know, and for the individual itself. Um, because if you, you can't get past that, you, that person's helpless and you yourself are helpless if you're that person. Right. And we all are at some, at some point, right. Whether we're aware of it or not, even if you are aware of it, it you're still battling. It's not like, it's not like you, you beat your ego and it's like, ah, I'm good. You know, that's just not how it works. Um, you know, I find myself all the time, the same thing. I'm at work, you know, I deal with, uh, I work, uh, here at Fort Myer, I'm a police officer. So I work with, with uh, the army guys, soldiers, infantry guys. And it's like, Oh man, you know, these guys are complaining and, and it's anyways. Um, it, it's tough to put yourself in check and go, you know what? Like they don't have, they don't, they don't have the perspective and it's not necessarily their fault, but it's now on you to sort of provide them that perspective without, you know, belittling them right because you're trying to influence them just like he talks about like it's the difference between overt and covert um you know being able to influence somebody without them knowing that's the that's the epitome of leadership right um mm -hmm. so but yeah i don't know really where i was going with that but yeah um yeah so i i'd gotten there and um now I've, yeah i've got females i mean that was a big thing for me like i've got females telling me what to do i'm like you know, and my wife, she's a female Marine. She's still, she's, she's in the reserve still. She just got out of active duty uh, a few months ago, but, um, but yeah, it was a big thing for me. It was like, oh yeah, it's huge. And it's, it's not just, it's all oh, their females. It's like, oh, you're not squared away. Oh, you're, you're out of shape. Oh, you're lazy. And you're still in charge of me. Like, <laughs> right. Like I could run. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what'd you do? So I had, I had initially within like the first month, I had, I had a, an issue with this one uh, female sergeant and um, you know, my, I think at that point, like I was, I was, I knew I, well, I guess I don't want to say that. I, I thought I had made a huge mistake by going there. Like this is not for me. Right. Like I was resisting every aspect of this. I mean, I went there, guarded i was not i was not having it um i didn't want to do the work i didn't want to be around the people because it was a different different group of people right with a different mindset with a different mission and it was a massive adjustment and um you know for me especially i mean you know like coming from a, a unit like 2-9 i mean the lineage the pride i mean you know to me i mean i i just i've i love that shit like um and then I go to a place where it doesn't really exist. And it's like, 
what's my fucking purpose here? Like, what, what's what's the end state? Where's the mission at? There is no mission. You're just supporting the air wing, you know, or you might go to a deployment up to Bahrain and it's just a job. Yeah, you know, and it's like, God, this is fucking brutal. Like, are we going to go to the field? Are we not going to the field? You know, like, like what do we do? Like, um, so eventually, also when I got there, the, uh, the platoon commander was um, my instructor in the schoolhouse. So he became a warrant officer and this guy was the man. Um, so he sort of, he, he had been uh, at the division level as an enlisted guy in infantry battalion. So he, he was able to, he saw what I was doing. Like, he's like, dude, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta cut the shit, dude. Like, you know, you gotta find a purpose. You gotta find a mission and, and you gotta kind of attack it that way. He's like, so um, get yourself promoted. I was a corporal. Um, and uh, I ended up becoming a sergeant. And then he was like, all right, you're the platoon sergeant. So that gave me purpose, right? Cause now I went from, you know, no purpose to now I'm in charge of anywhere between 70 to 110 people. Right. Um, and it's, a, I don't know how, um, the way that, the way the combatoons are, are structured, at least, at least at a comm battalion, they're, they're massive, right. It's not, it's not, not something that you'd see obviously in a battalion level, but, um, but that gave me some purpose. And then I had him as a leader and he was, he was, I mean, I still talk to this guy almost every day. Um, but he was another refreshing guy. So I, I was able to, again, you know, be fostered by that command leadership and the command climate um, that was, that sort of helped, at least it helped bring me up to speed in the sense that it helped me adjust. But like I, my ego was, I still had those, those feelings that I was still leading that way. You know, like you can't question me. You, what the fuck have you done? You know, like what have you, you know, and that's such an unhealthy way to fucking go about leading people. So it was, it was a difficult, it was a difficult challenge. I mean, I think I, overall I did a good job. Um, and I learned a lot because I'm not super, I'm very creative, like I'm very abstract and I'm not always the most disciplined. Um, and when I was managing, you know, if I had managed maybe 30, 40 people, it'd been a lot more doable. But when you got 90 to 110 people, and then they fall in different sections with their own staff and CEO. And so it's like, it, I, I, it was a tough, tough challenge. Right. Uh, yeah. I feel, I think I understand what you're saying because you know, my mind, I'm also like a complex problem solver, abstract thinker, which is the way I orient, which is the way that I am. Right. So, but uh, at one point, I took a, a corporate office job, and I, I talk about this a lot on the podcast because I think a lot of guys like me have similar circumstances. You know, I was working like a security job, and this just job opportunity in the civilian world came up to work inside sales for a company, cubicle office work, but the pay was very nice, and I wanted to get into business, and I wanted to get into sales. So I took it, but what I found was is that my soul, over the course of the 12 months that I was employed there, my soul was slowly grinded down. And I, I was like a caged animal is the way that I felt. And when I was just sitting there and I would just process paperwork all day and I was just doing data entry, the exact opposite of what I thrive and good at doing, you know, and I would, I'm like, I'm trying to apply extreme ownership too. So I'm like, you know, I'm like trying to own every mistake, but I constantly keep making mistakes because I just like, my brain just like mixes up numbers and does this stuff. And so, and I would just. I'm like overly self-punishing too. You know what I mean? So like when I would make a mistake, I would like self-punish. I'm like much better at it now. But when I was younger, it was 
way worse, especially when I was a Marine. So I would like self-punish myself for all these mistakes and errors that I would make. And then finally I was like, I just need a different job. Like I can't, I can't do this sort of thing. And I can imagine like, you know, when you get to platoon sergeant level, it's not like when you're a squad leader, when you're a squad leader, it's like, here's your classes, train these guys. You're a platoon sergeant, man. You're not, you're not doing very much training. You're, you're an admin. It's an admin position at that point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, I going back to the infantry mindset, it's like, dude, just be, just show the fuck up on time. Like, I don't, like, I don't, I don't want to go chase me down, dude. Like make your fucking bed. You know, like, I don't, I don't want to have to babysit you, dude. Like big boy rules, you know, like that, that was something I always tried to, to push was, you know, just, just be a big boy, big girl. Like, I don't, I don't want to have to be yelling at you, you know? Um, and, and having listened to all of Jocko's books and a vast majority of his podcasts, I'm looking back and I'm like, yeah, I, I wasn't the most effective leader, right? Like there's so many things that I should have done or could have done that would have made me more effective. Um, and I try to be too decentralized, right? Like he's always talking about being decentralized, but it was to the point where like, I didn't want to have to babysit because I was dealing with adults, right? I'm like, dude, you know, like I just said, like, just do what the fuck I tell you to do. Show up, you know, be on time. Don't look like a piece of shit. And, um, you know, work hard when you're here. Like, like if we do that, like we don't have to hear the staff and CEOs. We don't have to hear the officers. We don't have to hear the company command, you know, we just be locked on. That's it. Like be a big boy, big girl. But I think I, I just, I didn't. And I learned this again in recently, but like, when I, when you get somewhere and you take over, you've got to reel the rope in, right? Like you've got, you actually have to start much more disciplined with a much more centralized focus. And then once you sort of earn the respect and, and the credibility and everyone understands your intent or your intent, then you start to push out the responsibilities and decentralize the command. But I didn't really do that. Um, you know, and I, cause I didn't have really any experience doing that. And I also didn't know what I know now. So that, that looking back on it, I mean, that was like a huge, huge piece for me. It was like, you just, you let the ropes out. And then, then when people aren't doing what they're supposed to, I'm yoking people up and you know, it, it, it wasn't really all that effective, um, to an extent. Uh, but yeah, mm. it was a tough, tough leadership challenge. Do you have, uh, so, I mean, uh, uh, for lack of a better way to describe it, you, you were a troublemaker for most of your young adult yeah, life, oh yeah. right? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and so did you have any guys that were like troublemakers, right? So you're in your command, you know, you got your troops. Did you have guys that were like getting in fights and getting in trouble and you look at them just like, dang man, like, now you're like staring at a mirror image of yourself. Yeah. And, and I always take a liking to those people because, um, like I, I have, I have an ability to influence people, right? Like I, I just have one of those sort of personalities and that's one of, that's one of the, the things that I'm good at. Right. But I don't always use it for good. Right. Cause I can influence bad and I can influence good. And, and so, you know, sometimes your, your best quality is your worst quality. Right. Um, but yeah, we had a lot of those guys. And I would always try to help them um, as best I could. But I also knew what, what I needed too. So like, you know, I, I mean, I almost, I was a sergeant. I was like trying to fight a Lance Corporal one day, you know, like 
talk back to me again, I'm gonna hit you right in your face, you know? And like, it's like, dude, that's, that, that's not, you know, but like it, it, it was what he needed, but it's not really what I probably should have done. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you know, sometimes I took really extreme measures and, and sometimes I, I didn't, you know, um, but I, having come from that background, I feel like it's like, I try to use my own experiences to be like, all right, this is this kind of guy, right? Like I can sum this guy up pretty quickly. He needs a boot in his ass. Right. And this guy, he, it's not that he's dumb. He just doesn't know. Like he doesn't have the wherewithal to really understand the big picture. Right. So I was like, let me give this guy the big picture. Right. And that's, I mean, that's sort of the, the fluidity of leadership, right. Is like being able to sort of navigate the the waters of, of different people's personalities and character flaws and defects. Um, and I think I was pretty effective, although probably some of the things I did were probably ill-advised. Um, you know, like I, I had this kid mopping the battalion or what we call the squadron. I had this kid mopping the squadron for like six hours one day. It was stupid. Right. And like, I ended up getting yelled at and, and you know, they, they wanted to get me in trouble, but someone kind of covered for me, but um and the kid didn't do it again, right? Like, I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's always there's always more. Sometimes you got to play games. Yeah, you know, again, yeah. I'm not really that kind of guy, but it's like, you know, when you try to talk to somebody for so long and they're not doing it, you know, again, it's a leadership failure, right? In retrospect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes you know, some it's it's a fun game. You know, it's like especially in the Marine Corps or in any military, but especially in the Marine Corps, especially in the Marine Corps infantry, like you can't just let guys get away with things. Cause these are 18, you know, 22 year old punks. Most of them don't have the perspective of like, Oh, I want to grow. Oh, I want to be a leader. You know, I had another two nine guy on at Clements on a couple episodes ago. And we talked about this, like it, the cool attitude is to not care, right? Grow your hair long, just don't care. Like that's, it's the cool thing to do because it's the little act of rebellion. Right. And so that's that toxic thing that, you know, you talked about and you identified. So then it's, um, uh, so, you know, what do you do when you're a leader and these guys like mess up? I was not a very good disciplinary guy. I wasn't, I didn't like screaming at guys, but when I was in LAR and I was in charge, you know, I had a few guys that did things that were so heinous that I would have to address it beyond just like, you know, something like just a normal punishment. It would have to be a creative punishment. Right. So I remember I, this one, what did you, I caught him lying to me. Right. So I was like, all right. So I took him aside and I was like, look, I'll give you two options. You can either pay with pain or we'll do some paperwork. You know? And he was like, I want paperwork. And I was like, I am not giving you, it pissed me off. I was like, I'm not giving you paperwork. I'm going to go work. <laughs> so then, you know, uh, we took him on a, on a nice rock, which I did with him. So it was a workout, you know, it wasn't hazing, but yeah, I, I broke him off in the event that I was really good at, which was rucking and not what he was good at, which is like normal PT. So yeah, it was like, you know, things like that. You, you got to address it and you got to, you got to discipline them. And at the end, you know, these 18 to 22 year olds that don't care about the administrative or the NJP or the counseling, like they don't care about that stuff, man. They don't, they're not even going to reenlist. They just want to be there, you know, and hang out with their buddies and have a good time and then, and then leave. Uh, but it's your job as a leader to do your best to help them grow, uh, to give them a perspective. And sometimes that means a punishment. And then 
sometimes you got to get a little creative with what those punishments are. In my opinion, that's just my opinion. <laughs> so you could, how long were you, how long were you in the air wing in this leadership position then? Cause I know that you extended so that you can make a deployment. So it couldn't have been too long. Was it? Uh, well, yeah. Then I, then I ended up reenlisting. Um, so oh, okay. yeah, yeah. And then that's when I ended up uh, heading out there. So um, I got there and right after our second or your first, my second deployment, um, we got back and then I, I left that fall, went over there. Um, so I was there for, from 16 to, or sorry, from 12 to 16. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, um, you know, it, it, it was, another, I mean, even from a personal level, like, you know, I started finding, I was starting to compete in powerlifting and, um, you know, that, that, that actually fed my ego again, really bad. Um, I, at least from my perspective, because oh, like you're yoked. Yeah, I was yoked. Um, <laughs> you know, I was stronger than Probably pretty much still doing jujitsu. Yeah. 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 I still train. Um, also you were rolling guys too. You're rolling them up with your like 600 pound deadlift. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was you know, but, <laughs> but again, it wasn't, it wasn't really like healthy. Right. Like it, you know what I mean? Like it was like, I relied mm. too much. It's, it's like going back to the, like, Oh, what have you done? Oh, like I can do the 600 pounds or I can squat over 500 pounds, you know, like, and it, it sort of became like I was doing these things to sort of feed the ego. Um, and, uh, at the end, eventually I got pulled out of the position because my time was up, right? Like I, I can only fill the bill. I filled it for like a year and a half. And then I had to go back to being GP and, uh, and that's, they put a female in charge and like, and then we had this new female master sergeant and, um, man, I fucking, I turned toxic. Cause I, at this point I knew I was getting out. I had like a year and some change left. And, um, and man, I just, I went toxic, man. Like I was taking that, that switch the flip. Yeah. I went from, you know, influencing people for the good to basically rebelling against, you know, these two individuals and, um, Oh, it was, it was like really bad, man. It was really bad. I, I she couldn't really get me in trouble because the platoon commander, it was a different platoon commander, but he, me and him had a really good relationship. And so like, she, she knew that he wouldn't really like take any action unless I did something really egregious. Um, but I mean, any chance I had to undermine her or, or the new platoon sergeant I did. And um, I was just unhappy. Why did you was, do that? What's that? Why, 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 uh, why did you take that attitude? I guess I lost purpose again. That was a big thing, right? Cause now I'm going back to what I feel is, um, or what I felt is a place where I can't grow. Right. Like I, I I'm not, I'm not really in a position of influence. Right. Even though I was or responsibility. Um, yeah. You lose the responsibility. Mm. Um, I was then looking at getting out. Right. Um, so there was, there was a lot of unknowns, right. And I didn't really know, I, I thought I knew what I wanted as far as getting out. Um, my hand was sort of forced, it's, a, it's sort of a long story. My, me and my wife are, are married at this point and we basically were both due for orders. Um, they just happened to chop me orders first to 29 Palms. Um, and she was basically pending going to CENTCOM or SOFTCOM, either Miami or Tampa. Um, and, uh, 
So I just was like, fuck it, man. So I denied the orders and we ended up going to Miami. But anyways, as far as going back to, to that, yeah, I, I was insecure. I was, I was really insecure about the whole entire scenario of getting out, losing my, my leadership role, right. Losing that status. Um, you know, basically having to put my ego in check because now I have to answer to, to somebody who's my peer who used to answer to me. Right. Um, you know, then you're dealing with the male to female component because the, the, the female master, she was, she, I mean, she was like all about female. She was one of those. And I obviously picked up on that. And so again, it became my point to, you know, undermine her in any manner in which I could. Um, you know, it, it just was, it was a bad, I mean, I went through like a really, like the last seven, eight months of my contract, I was in like a, just a terrible place mentally. Um, you know, it, it was, even my wife will tell you, she tells people all the time, like, yeah, he was just fucking not the person that I knew. Right. And so eventually I ended up getting out and I actually went to massage school, which is like, again, another like polar extreme, right? Like, going from the Marine Corps to, you know, people holding hands and, School. and singing Kumbaya and shit. But basically yeah. I, mean, I was, I was big into powerlifting and then I had gotten hurt and I, I, I had, uh, I was starting to get treatment done by this, uh, this Cairo guy. And so I got interested in that and I knew a lot about the body, right? Like I knew anatomy. And so I was like, well, why don't I just do this? This is a great business. I can train people and then treat people. Not necessarily, I didn't want to like massage people, but I want to do like therapeutic stuff. Um, so that's what I did. I went to massage, but that was like a game changer for me because it, it, it allowed me to like completely look at the world and had a completely different view, you know, mm. as opposed to going like kill, 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 you know, and then here I am, like, I'm slowing things down. I'm thinking about things in a, in a much more holistic way. Um, you know, I'm hearing all these other like completely varied point of views on things. Um, you know, the, the whole process is like a self-discovery process. You're doing all these like weird drills and, and, you know, tasks and things like that. And, and I mean, it's very, it's like a very like intimate type of um, course and relationship that you have with other students in a weird way. Now, I don't mean like obviously in a sexual way, but I mean, you're like, you're getting very personal with people. So it was like, it, it allowed me to connect. And I think where I've, I've disconnected, especially from being in the military, um allowed me to connect back to myself um and sort of allow myself to try to feel again right where like you become so numb and calloused um at least i felt like i did and I, to an extent still am um but yeah so that was like a big game changer for me and then i ended up starting a business after that um that was my first business and uh, that was with a foot doctor, a podiatrist. We went into business together. We got an office in this CrossFit gym. It's a big CrossFit gym down in Miami. And um, that went on for, he basically, he ended up like leaving me. Um, he moved up to Orlando and I ended up kind of continuing the business. Um, but yeah, so I ended up shutting that down and uh, just too much with the family and stuff like that. And I was having a hard time adjusting because I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to do sales and like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I have no business acumen. Like, you know, I'm like, 
so lost. I'm trying to piece it together. I'm knocking on people's doors, storefronts, you know, trying to get people. Um, I'm having a hard time interact because like I'm talking like I'm a grunt, you know, like I'm in the infantry or I'm in the Marine Corps, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm trying, I got people on the table and I'm dropping it, you know, and it's like, God, man, like I'm way too intense for this, you know, like, I don't know if I can dumb it down to like, you know, to be like the typical uh, therapy kind of individual, right? Like I'm, I'm way too intense. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in the gym, I'm on the gym floor and I'm deadlifting 600 something pounds and I'm, and I'm screaming and I'm yelling and I'm, you know, and I'm super intense and like, and then I'm like going in the office and like, I'm like trying to work on people and be like, you know, it's like, it's just polar opposites and it just wasn't really working for me. Um, and, uh, it's a hard industry, you know, cause you're trying to, you're trying to train people. Yeah. People don't train for a long period of time. Right. They're going to train two months, three months, then they flake off. Well, now you got to replace that person with somebody else while you're still trying to, you know, acquire other people on top of that. So it's a very up and it's down. Hard industry. business. Oh, it's difficult. Yeah. It's super difficult. Um, but I'd done, I'd done pretty decently. Like, I mean, my, my whole thing was I wanted to, wanted to train professional athletes and treat professional athletes. So, um, that was like my goal. And, um, you know, I ended up doing a couple of internships at, at this big time performance center down in South Florida. And I met a lot of people and I was able to work with a lot of people. Um, and yeah, so I ended up, going to another gym who um brandon marshall the, he, he used to play for the giants um i sort of met him and then he had a gym so i was training him and then i started working at his gym um and i was working this other gym at the same time and uh yeah i just i i just got demotivated because i i started realizing i'm like i got a baby so i gotta provide other people motivation and discipline you got a family yeah and i got my own family and it's, i'm trying to juggle that and you know the hours are crazy right because this person this person can only train at 5 a.m well i guess i'm there at 5 a.m right um you know this person can only train at 7 p.m well i gotta feed my kids right i gotta i got a wife that i gotta keep happy right there's a, there's that balance there that you know it was really getting really hard to balance and like to keep the energy up to to motivate people who have no motivation because like i don't want to deal with you know, the general public, but the general public are the people that pay the bills, right? Like you're only going to get a handful of professionals, right? That that's mm -hmm. the reality, unless you have like your own facility and, and, you know, that's strictly what you cater to. Um, but in South Florida that you're not as an individual person. No, there's so many performance centers down there um, because that's where all these guys go in the off season, right? They want to be in sunny, sunny Miami. They want to ball out, right? They want to party. Um, so they're a dime a dozen down there. Um, so yeah, then, um, I sort of gave up on that. I got a job as a guard at uh, Southcom. So working for the department of the army as a security guard. Um, and I did that for about six months and then my wife's contract was up. So we were like, okay, well let's move up to the DC area because there's a lot more opportunity up there. And, um, so we moved up here. Well, let me backtrack actually. Before that, I actually opened up an online business called Condition One Training, which was basically an online platform where I was um, setting it up with a buddy of mine who owns a company. I don't know, maybe you know, you ever heard of Feed Me, Fight Me? No. No, it's like a, it's like a big like CrossFit type apparel brand. 
Um, anyways, we were in the Marine Corps together, but I, uh, I partnered up with him to do this online training platform and, you know, his son ended up getting cancer. So we ended up shutting it down after, you know, six, eight months. Um, and then, uh, then I got the job at, at Southcom, moved up to DC, transferred. So I'm still working for the department of the army. Um, and then I switched over to police and then that sort of brings me to where I am today with uh, the business that I have now that I'm just trying to start and get off the ground, which is dot mill. Um, and uh, yeah, so I try to, I try to navigate as quickly as I could up to uh, the pinnacle here. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that's where I'm at. And, and basically what I'm trying to do with this is I'm trying to create a platform where you know, I want to sell apparel and coffee, but that's not really, that's not really what I want to do in the sense of, of, of the actual vision, right? The vision is I want to create a platform where I can bring veterans, veterans, businesses, services, um, together to one point, right? One platform where Carson's got a podcast, but he's selling, I don't know, he's selling chess boards. Okay, well, I want to create a platform where Carson doesn't have to have a website and have all this other crap, right? Like Carson's busy, he's got another job, but he wants to he wants to he wants to make extra money or he wants to help support himself or whatever. Well, I want you to be able to put it on my my platform so other veterans can come to the platform and find other veterans and help support other veterans. So it's basically a vet. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like um Yeah. So it's like uh you know that there's a there's a store like that in my location. It's like a physical store. I call it Changing Times, and it's just a bunch of booths, and everybody like sells their whatever they make in those booths. A lot of it is like furniture and like you know crafty things, but so something like that. But a digital platform where everybody, all these entrepreneurs, these veteran entrepreneurs, can put up their products, and other people can buy from you know veterans. That's really cool, man. What a what a cool idea. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the goal. You know, it's like, because I mean, think about it. Like how many of us are struggling, right? Like how many people do you know that are struggling or, or that are barely getting by? Right. And it'd be nice to, to provide, but I want to provide the mechanism well, where we can help support each other. Right. Like, and then through that, I would like to obviously, you know, support through, um, you know, whatever initiatives or, or donations or whatever on top of that. So it's, you know, money coming in to help other businesses. It's not, I, I, like, I don't necessarily want a stake as far as, you know, I don't want to be like the guy that's collecting. It's not for me to collect the profits. It's, it's for the profit sharing, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like um, mm -hmm. where you're supporting Joe Schmo down the street, who's a veteran and he's getting, he's getting whatever you're providing him, you know? Um, and then whatever percentage I take can then go to um, whatever initiatives and, and causes that, that we feel as a community, you know, need to be addressed, you know? So yeah. I, I, I thought about this idea for a while and I, I don't even really know how to get it together to be honest with you. I'm just, I'm, I'm just chipping away and I'm so trying to create, you know, some, some funds so I can then start to build a, a, a more robust website and plot, you know what I mean? Like, I got to do it organically. You know, yeah. I don't have tons of money or anything like that. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, you know, cause again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's, it's the, the mission and then the growth that happens 
through seeking this out, right? Like that's the benefit for me. It's like, I get to grow. I get to feel good. Right. I, I get to learn about myself. I get to watch other people grow, other people prosper. Like that's it. Right. Like that's, that's the currency I'm after. Um, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, it, that's, that's the thing about business and being an entrepreneur, you know, it's just obviously I'm, I'm a business owner, right? I'm an entrepreneur and I, like most entrepreneurs, I've had failed startups, you know, and it sucks because especially these days, oh, you start up a business, get rid, guess what you got to do? You got to talk about it. You got to put it on social media. You got to put your name on it. You got to put your face on it. And then when that business tanks, because you don't know what you're doing, um, you know, that sucks. It sucks to your ego. It sucks to your pride. And then guess what you got to do? Well, you got to not give up. You got to have to have perseverance, right? It's a, that's what everybody says because it's absolutely true. It's the only variable that guarantees success is perseverance, right? Uh, so what do you do? Well, you got to start another business and then you got to say, oh yeah, I started another one. And then all your friends and family are like, you sure? Sure, you're going to start another one? It's like, yes, I'm going to start another one. So, so you go through this huge personal journey and in it, you face your failure, you face your weaknesses, you face fear. So you become better. And then, you know, you're gaining hard skills, but you're also growing in character during the whole experience as well. And veterans gravitate towards that. That's what those statistics say. It's, it's, it's I forgot the numbers, but it's something like 2% of the nation are military veterans and you know, 2% of the population, something like that. But then like 5% of all businesses are veteran owned. So does that tell you not just that veterans are far more likely to start their own businesses, but are far more likely to start successful businesses. Right. And I think a lot of that has to do with perseverance and other qualities that you just, you're, you learn. <clears throat> and also when you're young, you gain so much responsibility. How, how old were you when you were in charge of 90 people? 25, 26. Yeah, 25. You know what a 25 or 26 year old is in charge of in the corporate office world? Like delivering people's mail. Like, <laughs> you know, it's so it's and the only way you can really replicate that is be in a business for many years or start your own. Um, now, I'm an advocate for, you know, having a job while starting your business. I think that's super important. Um, so I continue to work. I'm using that sweet, sweet GI Bill. I'm full-time student online, but I, I have my startup. So all you got to do is just work really hard. I also know that I can't do this forever. You know, I can't work as hard as I am forever. I'm going to get older. So I got to, I got to put in the hours now and I don't have any kids yet. We're going to, you know, soon, but so you got to maximize the time and the tools that you have. And if you procrastinate, if you wait, if you wait for everything to be perfect, if you're like, my my business plan needs to be perfect, everything needs to be set up, and then you go, it doesn't work like that because that business plan is going to be worthless in like two months once you realize all these things you didn't know anyway. So, and opportunities come up. You got to be fluid. So the best thing to do is just go out and make a mess. I say, don't take any loans. You know, Do whatever you can to raise your capital, work some overtime, uh, but don't take any loans. Don't take any debt because that increase, once you have like, debt and you have risk, then you're fearful. And if you're, cause you can't take that right. risk. And if you're 
fearful, then you can't maneuver, right? If you can't maneuver, then you can't take advantage of opportunities and you can't try things and you can't fail. So don't, don't take any loans. Find some low entry ways to just start getting into business and then figure it out because you're going to fail too. And that's fine. Fail, get started, make a mess. And then by the time you like know what you want to do, maybe you'll have some capital, but you'll definitely have a lot more skill and character and you'll be able to do it a lot better. I mean, you know, before I started the supplement company and before I was like, I really want to sell products that help people be better. Um, I was doing sunglasses that were made in China, you know, and eventually I'm just like, I don't like working with China. I don't like working in this, like in this industry, I would rather do made in American products. So that's an important thing for me in my business and in crook industries. Every single thing that we make that we sell is made in the USA. And that's super important to me. So dude, I, I like your, I like your business model and I like why you're doing it. And it's so cool because I keep meeting like super awesome individuals like yourself that start these, these cool businesses that are like community based. Like, uh, I, I'm a big supporter of a local, local company. It's called hero rays. You ever heard of these guys hero rays? So hero rays is an online crowdfunding platform. It's like GoFundMe, you know, or one of those others. Um, but on like, you know, GoFundMe or whatever, there'll be guys that are veterans that they raise money for like cancer or whatever. Um, but it's a big fraud, you know, it's a big scheme. It's like somebody that was never even a veteran. And so they just take all the money and they run. So what Hero raises is like, they identified this. They're like, this is a big problem because all these people are committing fraud and there's no way to catch them. And they just take the money and run. So what they did is they started a, a platform for raising money for veterans and first responders and their families. So you go on there and you start a campaign fund. Let's say it's medical. You know, uh, a dude needs chiropractic care because he jacked up his back and, you know, airborne jumps. That's a pretty common story. So... The, all the providers are verified. They go through a verification process to be able to receive the money. And then they start a fundraising campaign. People can donate and all that money goes to the provider. So the hero is verified. The provider is verified uh, through their process. So it's very secure. It's super cool. And uh, so uh, I, I know the owners, good friends of mine and uh, support their mission. So we talk about them. We hold them up on this podcast, and then uh, uh, we support them on the website. We have some initiatives and projects that we're working on this fall. Some really cool things that we wanna we wanna do together to promote them and and their story. But yeah, dude, it's super awesome to meet guys like you and uh, see your initiatives that you have going. Yeah, it passed me their information as well. I mean, I I, I would. I'm looking for, for different avenues. And, and right now I'm, I'm really focused on the, uh, the two nine reunion. Um, that was, that was oh, yeah. sort of, that was one of the main drivers of this to begin with. Um, you know, so talk about the two nine reunion. Yeah. So I, um, I was working the gate at, at Fort Myer and, um, popped my head out and who's driving through the gate is Colonel Stiskel. Um, yeah. Oh, cool. And, uh, Everyone, you know, I talked to him every once in a while, but I hadn't, he was, he was the regimental commander out in Hawaii of, uh, whatever fucking regiments out there. Um, and then he got orders in the Pentagon. So I stick my head out. He's like, dude, he's like, what the hell are you doing here? I was like, what the hell are you doing here? You know? And, uh, so he's like, Hey, there's a reunion going on, uh, November 10th. And, um, 
he's like, I, I, I want you to come. He's like, we're trying to get some of the, the local 2-9 guys to go. It's basically put on by the Vietnam era 2-9 uh, guys. And they've been doing this for, Crazy. I think they've been doing it for almost 20 years. Um, and uh, it's a really cool story. I, I, don't, I couldn't really recite it to you, but it, it's a really cool story. It started off with basically like one guy yeah. standing at the, at the Vietnam uh, Memorial with a sign. You know, and then yeah. he eventually met another person that was in tuna, and then it sort of just grew organically like that. But um, awesome, awesome guy. Um, and he's, he runs the two nine page. If you, I don't know if you belong to that page, um, but he, he runs one of the two nine uh, pages, uh, Danny Schuster. Awesome dude. Um, but anyways, they have to pay about 13 grand um, a year to put it on. And, um, they, they sort of struggle obviously to get there, you know, and, and they're not getting as much turnout because people are getting older and sicker, can't travel, you know? And so he, mm. he wants to start trying to look to pass the torch to our generation to keep the, the tradition going. So they have it at, the, I think it's at the Hilton hotel here in Arlington, Virginia, um, you know, right across from, you know, the river from the monument and then, uh, and all that stuff. So, Anyways, they have a dinner. It's a nice dinner. They do like a gift raffle. You know, he this guy's a shit talker. So he gets up there and he's running his mouth and he's hilarious. He's like, you know, one of those salty ass Vietnam dude mm. uh, guys. And um, so it was like, it was myself, Colonel Stiskel, Lieutenant Colonel Anklum. I don't know if you remember, he was a weapons company CO. Um, and then there was uh, a couple of the uh, um, first deployment, like staff and COs and things like that. And there was a couple, couple, uh, weapons company guys there, but it was like only like eight or nine of us. Um, and then they had, uh, Oh God, major general Boudreaux. He's, uh, I don't know what he's in command of, but he's a, he's a three-star general, but he was a two nine guy in Somalia. So he was the guest speaker. Um, it was awesome, dude. I mean, it was, it, it was awesome. Had some drinks, your bullshit. And these guys, I got, this guy didn't even know who I was sat me down gave me a coin you know i don't i don't even know what rank this guy was when he was in you know but like he he was so pumped that we were there um and that he could you know sort of bridge the gap and and it was awesome it really was so uh that's so cool yeah dude let's uh well let's see if we can uh you know i'm gonna see if i can do something i'll raise some money for that because that sounds like something so valuable especially you know cherish the time that you have with that the vietnam generation you know because they're getting older and uh so yeah we if we can make that happen we can make a bunch of two nine guys all show up and be able to have this this connecting point you know some that can be pivotal pivotal in some of their perspectives like what a great impact that you can have on a bunch of terrific yeah i mean and, and how, how much did it great would things. help you know i'm sure there's people out there that feel detached and lonely and and you know and and just to have that 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 connection again with maybe somebody that they, you know, were overseas in Afghanistan with or, or whatever, you know, like you never know how that can impact somebody, you know what I mean? Um, and, and yeah. maybe help them get over the hump, you know, or may, maybe they make a couple connections and then, you know, those people help pull them over the hump, you know, I mean, it, it's just powerful, man. And uh, it's a good, it's a good, uh, you know, opportunity to, to reunite and then help, you know, pass on the brotherhood. Absolutely. Well, Scott, um, that sort of wraps up our time today, but I would love to have you on again some point in the future. You know, I'd love to talk about your transition process. 
You know, that's something that we emphasize a lot here on the show uh, for really good reasons. I mean, the mission of this podcast is to promote personal growth and development in American culture. And that's 100% what happens when you transition out of the military. You either sink or swim, right? And it's all about personal growth and learning more about yourself. So I'd like to talk more about that and have you on again if that would yeah, man, I, I would love to, man. I, I really enjoyed the time. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, yeah, let's stay in touch and, and please pass me that information um, about that, uh, that organization that you were telling me about. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do that. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for being on. And again, check out HeroRays.com. You know, HeroRays, there's a bunch of cool, uh, awesome people on there. And if you want to donate, raise money in a platform that's verified and you know that it's going to be safe. Uh, herorays.com. I can't recommend them highly enough. I love when I, when I meet the people that have been impacted through like the Johnson Brower foundation, which is the nonprofit arm uh, of this company and the mental health resources that they provide. And I like see the stories of the, of the people that run the company, you know, it's, it's absolutely moving. It's very humbling. And I'm very happy that, you know, to be able to support them with the resources that I can provide. So Eurorays.com as well. And then this podcast, you know, please like, subscribe, comment. Those things are going to help me out a ton uh, and help get the word out. We have a bunch of good episodes. You want, uh, maybe there's somebody that, you know, should listen to the episode about, you know, Marine Corps boot camp and how to survive Marine Corps boot camp. There's a lot of great info in there. And all of it is directed towards supporting people in the in a positive growth mindset. So thank you again, Scott, coming on. And uh, even staying for the commercial at the end. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, everybody listening and watching, thank you so much for your support. Take care.